Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. We're going through the Gospel of Mark, and I hope you've started reading through the Gospel. Hopefully you've taken that step. And our goal, really, as we go through this series, is simply to see who is, who's Jesus, Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I already know that, but that's sometimes the problem, isn't it? That we think we know who he is, but what is it really like to hear, to to see Jesus, to know him for who he is? What did he say about who he is? And today, in some ways, to ask the question, what was it like for the first disciples when Jesus showed up and they heard these words about who he is and what he proclaimed and the gospel that he brought? What did What did they feel? What did they think? What hit their minds? I think it's important for us to get back into that that period and understand things from the perspective of a first century Jew that's walking on the the seas of Galilee and simply Jesus shows up. What's the impact that he had? And then comparing that to the impact he has today. Because often when we think of Jesus, we think, well, I know what Jesus is about. I know what he would say to me. But what Mark's doing is he's really challenging our understanding of who Jesus is. Do you see him for who he is? And are you allowing him to be who he is, or do you want to change who he is? Sometimes we want to get in there and make Jesus more palatable, palatable, that's the word, to me. I want him to make sense to me. And so as we go through the Gospel of Mark, that's the question we're asking. Who is Jesus? And Mark starts off, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there. Also, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, we're now live on that Bible app. You can go to events, and you can follow the notes that are there in the YouVersion Bible app. If you go to uh, more and events, it's right there. And Mark starts off in verse 1, and he simply says, this is who Jesus is. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's three things. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God, but then we're going to see from John, he is God himself. Now, Messiah is a loaded term. You really have to step into the Old Testament to understand what that means. It's Israel's long-awaited king, the king that would come in and set things right, not just for Israel, but bring blessing to the entire world. Jesus is stepping into that heavy promise, and he's saying, yeah, that's who I am. But then the second term, which is, in Mark's gospel, his favorite, Son of God, What does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God? And we begin to see that at his baptism. Because immediately at his baptism, uh, the Spirit of God comes down on uh, on Jesus and the Father says, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. There's something unique about Jesus' relationship to the Father. You're starting to see it early on in Mark's Gospel. The Father has this special relationship with him and his identity, Jesus' identity, comes from the Father. And Jesus is called by the Father to be the Son of God and to carry out his mission to the world, which is to bring the Holy Spirit to bear on all things. And then finally in verse 3, if you look at verse 3, John is quoting, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. So this is going back hundreds of years into the Old Testament. And Isaiah is talking about a time when God himself is going to come and God's going to make things right. And in verse 3, this is what John quotes from the prophet Isaiah. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare, and notice the language, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. See, Isaiah was talking about time when God himself, the creator, would show up and make things right. And immediately after John says this, who shows up? It's Jesus. And everyone's looking at this guy saying, who 
John said, God's coming. Who are you? And that's the question everyone through this gospel is asking. And we know the answer, but as as we go through Mark's gospel, we get to see as people are wrestling with that. They're struggling with it. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. But throughout this gospel, we start to wrestle with, really, who is he? And it's only at the cross, as we've seen the last two weeks, it's only through his sacrifice that Jesus takes on the judgment that we deserve on himself that we say, truly, truly, this is the Son of God. And the eyes of the blind get open, and we begin to have this, this faith and this relationship with who Jesus is. So today, we're going to kind of step into the beginning of this gospel in verses 14. If you want to grab a Bible, Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 14 through 20. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the first encounter that Jesus has with these disciples. And really, the first encounter the disciples have with Jesus is they're wrestling with who is, who is this Jesus. You guys ready? I hope so. Let's, let's, let's watch this together. Let's do it. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through, through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent in the gospel and believe the gospel. Now, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee in the boats, with the hired servants, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, would you pray for me? And, and I'm going to pray for you. So let's pray. Father, I just want to take a deep breath as we gather uh, this morning. We're not here, um, not here to perform. We're here to be, to be present, to be present with each other and the joys to be present with you, that we are called out into this world to be light. But we, Father, sometimes we don't know what that means. And sometimes we feel overwhelmed by the darkness or our own sin and our own, the lies that we walk in. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Teach us. We are your children. We love to hear from you, Father. So would you guide this time and would you guide my words in Jesus' name? Amen. So here's the question. What did Simon, who is Peter, and Andrew, James and John hear When they heard Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. What captivated their minds? And then what's captivating your minds? Because see, Simon and Andrew, James and John, the early disciples, they were Israelites. And so that was their story. That was their background. They, they They were descendants of people like Abraham, Moses, David. See, Abraham was the beginning of the Israelite nation. And then Moses and Joshua led their people into the promised land. David made the nation of Israel great. And they're living in the land that these people had entrusted to them. They grew up listening to these stories. They sang the Psalms. They listened to the prophets. This was the world that they they lived in. And for centuries, 
Their prayer every single day before a meal would be Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlom. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlom. Blessed are you, Lord God, you are the King of the universe. Every day they got up and they prayed this prayer. King of the universe, we are grateful for the blessings that you've given us. And Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is here. What would have stirred their hearts? Now, part of the challenge that they have is if the king is here, why is everything such a mess? (laughs) Have you ever wondered that? It's like, I trust in Jesus. Jesus, you say you're God and you've shown up. Why is the world a mess? Why is my life a mess? Why are things so hard? Because life was a mess in the first century. Israel, this nation that's supposed to represent God, just sometimes like the church, was a total mess. They were a wreck. They were sheep without a shepherd. They were astray. They were worshiping other gods. They were focused on the national identity that they had and protecting their nation more than really worshiping God. They were oppressed. And just like they were in Egypt, there was this power. The Romans had been oppressing them for 50 years. Their land was oppressed, and over and over, these cities would pop up around Jerusalem and Judea of ex-Roman soldiers who didn't care about your traditions. They don't care about your land. They don't care, they don't care anything about you, and yet they're, they're populating their, your land. They're taking things away, and every year, your taxes are constantly going up for this evil regime. And one of the worst taxes they had to pay was not expensive, but it was what the tax meant. It was called a tribute tax. And a tribute tax was the tax you had to pay for the blessing, the joy of living under the great and oppressive Roman Empire. And every year, each individual had to pay this denarius. Now, here is a picture of a denarius and what would have been paid, and Jesus would have paid this himself in his day. And I'm sure you recognize the picture. This is the grandson of Julius Caesar, the son of Augustus, and his name was Tiberius. And Tiberius was the emperor of Rome during the time in which Jesus lived. Now, on that coin, there was some Greek words, and this is what it said, Caesar Augustus, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. So let's do a little history lesson. Leave that right there. Julius Caesar, we all know how his life turned out. That's pretty much all we know, right? Many of us, it's like, okay, guy got assassinated. Now, why? In part, he was assassinated because of his own pride. Julius Caesar said, listen, guys, I'm not just the ruler, I'm, I'm God, okay? Yeah, and I heard somebody say that. It's like, that's what everybody else was going. I don't think so. And to prove it, we're gonna, we're gonna take you out. And so Julius Caesar is assassinated. Now, Augustus, which means the great one, is really his adopted son. His name was Octavius. And Octavius becomes the next king. He says, listen, I I don't want Octavius. That's not exciting. Augustus, I am the great one. And just like his father, he's following in his footsteps of Julius Caesar. I am not just the king. I am the son of God, the son of Julius. Well, what does Tiberius do? He's following in the family tradition. If Julius is God and Augustus is God, then Tiberius is the son of God. And so 
what it was saying is Augustus the Great, Tiberius the King and Son of God. Now, does that sound like anything we've read? Next slide. How does Mark begin his gospel? Augustus Tiberius the King, the Son of God, the gospel of Jesus the King, the Son of God. Mark is writing to Romans and Greeks who believe, or maybe they believe, and the emperor says that I am God, and Jesus is saying, the kingdom is now here. We know about kingdoms, and we know about kings. This is God's kingdom. And the Brukata Adonai Elohenu Melech HaOlom, the true king of the universe, is now here. What? I know we don't read it like that, do we? Because we're not, we're not there. The true king has arrived. What would Simon and Andrew, James and John have heard when they heard these words? And then Jesus says, the first thing that he comes out in verse 15, he says the time is fulfilled. All of the promise, all the waiting. Guys, the waiting is over. This is what you've been waiting for. The kingdom of God is now at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news is that Jesus is the king. And understand, this is why Jesus gets crucified. He wasn't crucified because he was a great moral teacher, right? You don't crucify great moral teachers. You follow them. You listen to them. He wasn't crucified for his teaching. And Jesus, understand, he wasn't crucified because he said, guys, listen, here's the way to God. There's a lot of people that say that, right? Religious leaders. This is what God's like. This is who he is. This is what it looks like to follow him. Jesus wasn't crucified because he said, this is the way to follow God. Jesus was crucified because he said, I am the king of the universe. And I'm here to establish God's kingdom. He's Lord. That's why Jesus was crucified. And, and a few weeks ago, we were in Colossians chapter 1. And Jonah took us through that picture of who Christ is, that he's the beginning He's the image of the invisible God. He's God himself. Before all things, he existed. And by, by all things, he holds and sustains all things together. Because see, Christianity is not about a system of belief, though we believe certain things. And Christianity, being a Christian, is not about living a certain kind of moral life. That's not the beginning. Christianity is about a person. It's about making a decision about who Jesus is. A Christian is someone who's wrestled and said, this is who I believe Jesus is. And see, because this is who I believe Jesus is, it makes sense. This is how I'm now going to live. Because see, if you don't see Jesus right, the commands of the Bible, just good advice, right? Doesn't matter. I can, I can take it. I can leave it. If it works out for me, right, I'll follow it. But if it's not working out for my life, it's not bringing things better. If I don't see the kingdom and everything coming in my life, then I'm not going to follow it. But if you start to understand who Jesus is, then the way of a Christian begins to make sense. It begins to fall in line. This is the Adonai, the Elohenu. This is the king. This is the blessed one. And don't miss, again, in verse 15, what Jesus is saying. And he's saying to the Roman Empire, and he's saying to all these Greeks and Romans, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Understand the weight of the claim. He's saying there's no greater authority and power than me. 
That's pretty exclusive, right? That makes me nervous when somebody says something like that. And he's saying, the emperor is not greater than me. And Jesus was never afraid of the governments. You know that? Notice that? And, and Rome was a lot worse than today, guys. Can we just kind of understand that Rome was a heck of a lot worse? So I know things are challenging and, and we have fears and worries and we want to gain control, right? Rome was a lot worse. Jesus was not concerned living under the power of Rome. Why? Because he was in control. He knew that Rome isn't greater. The emperor is not greater. God is still in control. And in this world, the kingdoms of this world are still rebelling against God, including me. And Jesus is in this tension. It's called the already not yet, that the king is here. The kingdom has come, but it's not yet. Why? Because in Jesus' first coming, he comes as savior and redeemer. He comes to rescue, forgive, ransom, adopt. In his second coming, the king comes as judge. He comes to bring in God's kingdom. And this is an age of grace in which we have the privilege of bringing the gospel to the world. But we live in between. We live in between. Hey, I, I know the Holy Spirit is in me. I know I've trusted in Jesus, but why is the world a mess? And, and more importantly, you know, why is my life kind of a mess? Well, go back and look at verse, verse 14. There's this tension that Mark includes this detail. Jesus is the king. He's the rightful creator. Authority, power over all things. Yet look what's happening to John. It says in verse 14, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That doesn't make sense. Why would you admit that? John's suffering. And you know, John actually goes back to Jesus and says, something's wrong with this picture. Right? Jesus, this is, have you ever done that to God? It's okay if you have, because there's a lot of good people that do. Something is messed up, Jesus, I don't get it. And he says, are you truly the king? Are you the one? Are you established in the king? What has Jesus said? Listen, look, look what's happening. Look, look what's happening. The lame are receiving their sight. It's kind of interesting when you look at the words that Jesus said really reflect who he is. It's about oppression being released. You know, it's not just about people praying a prayer. It's about the hungry being fed and, and the lame being cared for and those who are cast out being brought in and the good news being preached to the poor. Liberation. Because see, when God's rule and reign comes, it sets people free. Not just spiritually. God cares about your spirit, but he cares about your body. He cares about our neighborhoods and our communities. And a sign of God's kingdom is simply feeding the hungry. In Jesus' name, clothing the naked, being in this community, and instead of kind of getting washed up in the kingdom of this world, which is what? Ah, everybody's angry. I don't know, that's what I feel like. I feel like, gee, everybody's just so tense. Not getting caught up in the kingdom of this world that rebels against the king, but living under the reign of the king who's in control, even though the world is a mess and John is in prison. He's still in control. And I got to trust that. That's, that's the place where I have to trust that that is who Jesus is. See, if you go back to verse 15, here are the key words that we need to sit in. How do we enter this kingdom? Not by your performance, not by how beautiful you are, not by how much money you make, or not by the city you live in. We enter into this kingdom simply through repentance and faith. 
Now, what is repentance and faith? It's pretty important. The word repentance means to turn. In some ways, to change your mind. I'm living for this, which means, can you just identify in your life, what are you living for? And ask yourself, you know, as you go through your day, what's giving me anxiety? It's because you're living for something and it's, it's giving you anxiety. Why am I so angry? Why do I feel like I need to be in control? All of that comes out of a heart because you're created to worship something, to submit to something, to surrender to someone. And your life is a reflection of what you worship. And what it's saying is, hey, would you just, okay, can you identify it? We're not judging it, we're just identifying it. And then would you just turn and look at Jesus? And would you, when you look at him, you need to listen to him, right? Trust him, hear him, identify who he is, and then follow him. Because the next step is once you turn, and this is a constant thing we need to do, the next step is trust. To believe, this word is, has a lot of nuances to it. It means faithfulness, it means faith, it means fidelity, it means trust. Will you simply trust him? And the more you understand who he is and who he's claiming to be, I think the easier it is to trust him. He's not here to give me advice. He's not here to just help me live a better life. He's here to reconcile me to God. He's here to rescue, to ransom me, to adopt me as his child. This is who Jesus is. And the way we enter into this kingdom is through repentance and faith. And understand, most of our life is just, hey, this is what I'm living for, Jesus, right now. Gosh, help me, help me to turn to you. That's okay, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, little, little, thanks, Dave. He's trying to open it up, yeah, he's got it. Yeah, that's all it is. The Christian life, in many ways, is about identifying what we're trusting in. And then in faith, saying, God, help me, help me this day to look to you. And so often what we do is we just kind of condemn ourselves and, and the things that we're looking at. And, and that's why Christ came, to liberate us, to set us free. The question is, do you believe who he is? And if you do, then repentance and faith will be a joy in life because I get to look at Jesus. And when I look at him, I'm not seeing condemnation. I'm seeing somebody who pursued me, chased after me, loved me, and is, and is in control of all things. And he's just saying, Jason, would you just trust me, man? It's better to do it my way. That's Jesus. And so let's, let's just look quickly at how people respond when they realize who Jesus is and they see him for who he is and they repent and believe. That's what the story of the disciples shows us. What do people do when they see Jesus for who he is? How do, the, what impact does that have? You guys ready? So let's jump back in. Verse 16. Here we go. And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, and Simon is actually Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me. And I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired hands and followed him. See, Mark has an economy of words. If you go to Matthew or John or Luke, you're going to get a lot more. And so we need to press in and say, well, what does Mark emphasize? And what Mark emphasizes is the reaction. How do people react when they come in contact with a king? And one of the things we need to focus on is this little phrase, fishers of men. It sounds cute, right? Ah, that's funny. 
They're fishermen. They're going to be fishing for men. Okay. It's not a cute little phrase because the sea was not cute in the first century. People died on the sea. And if you read the Bible, um, the sea, the ocean, it's a dangerous place. It's often the place of darkness. It's a place of evil. The Leviathan comes from the depths of the sea because the sea is, is untamed. You can't tame the sea. You can't control the sea. You can be an expert sailor, and yet the sea, if you are foolish, it's going to take you out. And so when Jesus says you're fishers of men, he's saying, I'm going to take you out of the kingdoms of this world and the rebellions of the kingdoms of this world, and I want, to bring you, I want you to bring them into my kingdom. Out of darkness, you hear this, right? Into light out of lies into truth. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I want you to live in such a way that your words and your actions, they're cohesive and they reflect my way of doing things in the world so that others might see there's a better kingdom, there's a better way. And we don't have to trust all the kingdoms of this world, which to be honest, they lead to more conflict. They lead to conflict. But God's kingdom, it leads to peace. Because the way of our king, what was it? What was the point where people said, truly this is the son of God? It was the cross. Jesus taking the judgment on the world for, on himself, self-sacrificial love, this is the way of our king. And this is supposed to be the way of his, his people. To reflect his kingdom and his way to the world. And see, that is a, a different way of living. Wouldn't you agree? Where you're generous towards those who reject you. Who does that? I, nobody, right? You serve those that can't do anything for you. Today, what do we do? We serve the people that can, hey, I, I like you because if you like me, my life's going to be better. Isn't that kind of the kingdoms of this world? What's the kingdom of Jesus? Man, I love you. And you know what that person says? Why? I'm a mess. I mean, most people in the, right? Do you love anyone like that? Where their love, where your love for them, they're like, you're not getting anything from me, right? But that is the love of God. He comes to us. He meets us. And that reveals a totally new way of doing things, a new king and a new kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. And then notice in verses 18 and 20, I just want you to see the response of the disciples. What Mark emphasizes. And again, it's the words immediately and left. They left their nets and followed him. That's their career. And your career often can be your identity. I mean, certainly for me, I, I don't know if that's for everyone, but I put a lot of my self-worth and what you think of me. So say nice things. You know, tell people nice things, please. I do. I mean, that's my insecurity. My career is often the place that I find that I'm, am I significant? Do I have anything to give? But where's the other place we look? And then immediately, he called them, and they left their father. This is a very, if you've grown up in a traditional culture, family is everything. Career, it's important, but it's secondary. And usually career flows out of family. If your dad's a carpenter, hey, buddy, that's all you're doing. You're a carpenter. That's what we do. That's what our family does. And so what happens? Understand, it's not that James and John never hung out with their dad again. They still celebrated Father's Day. And it's not as if Andrew and Simon never went back and fished. But see, it's not where they get their identity from. Right? You've got to turn from. My career's important. It's valuable. But it's, man, this is not my life. 
This is how I get to express who my king is. You with me in that? My career is not my identity, but it's a gift from God. Because in a small way, I get to bring God's rule and reign in how I do work. I get to do work in a way that's not of the kingdoms of this world, but of the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Ask Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know what the difficulties are, but those difficulties and challenges represent the kingdoms of this world, and it's an opportunity. Not not to have anxiety in it, but just say, Jesus, you're my king. You've given me the spirit. He said he came to baptize me of the spirit. Hey, help me. Help me to live for you right now. And you know what Jesus may ask? Hey, what are you looking at? Hey, would you just turn and look at me? Would you stop trusting in these things? Stop putting your identity in your career. Would you, what would it look like to put your identity in me? And maybe your career would become more fulfilling because it's not who I am. It's just what I get to do for the glory of God. And then your family. Your family is incredibly important. But see, in the first century, that's who you were. You were the son of Zebedee. You were never going to be anything more than the son of Zebedee. But through Jesus, the son of God, you are now a child of God. And I love Zebedee, but I can love Zebedee a lot better when I love God first. Do you see what he's saying to us? What's Jesus calling us to? The first thing he's calling us to, in verse 17, he's just, he says, come. I love this. Because so often what I think God wants is, Dang it, Jason, get it right. What's wrong with this kid, right? That's what I think God's thinking about me. And if you would clean up your act, right? Get it together. Then you can be with me. That's what most people say to us, right? Then you can be with me. That's not how God, what does God do? He shows up where you are. He knows what you're dealing with. There's no secrets. There's no addictions that God doesn't know about. But he pursues you. Realize in the first century, you had to pursue the rabbi because that's the brand. The rabbi had, that's the first influencers, social influencers, right? First Amazon and Nike. And when you work for those companies, what do you work for? The brand. I got to make a name for the brand. In some ways, that's what you did as a disciple. You went out and said, hey, I, wanna, I want the best rabbi. Because I want to live for that rabbi. Oh, you're a part of that team? That's solid. That's, that's tight right there. What happens to Jesus is he turns the values of the world upside down. That the king pursues his disciples. And he shows up where they are. And his only request of you. Hear this. And if you're new to the Christian faith, this is God's desire for you. Just be with him. Just learn what it looks like to turn away from the things in this world and how you do life and just, Jesus, help me, just teach me. That's, I just want to sit at your feet. And you know what happens? That's how he changes you. You think he changes you by, right? You did it wrong again. What the heck is wrong? That's the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of Jesus is, man, I, just, I, I, want you, I want you to have peace and joy. It's not working. Would you turn from that and would you turn back to me? And we find in him forgiveness and grace. It's the process of being with him. If you're not with him, you're not gonna change. That's how it works. And if you're not with people who are with him, you're not gonna change. And church, that's what we're supposed to be. A community of people who are learning to be with Jesus. And and guess what? I expect you to mess that up. I I don't, right? We expect each other not to get it together. We're kind of, 
One guy said, the best, my best day is I'm a giraffe on ice. I thought that was funny. That's a great image. My best day. I'm a giraffe. And so we expect that when we're meeting with him, we're not going to get it all together. But the focus is to be with him. And then finally, here's the last thing. We get to be with him. And in being with him, we become like him. And finally, we get to go do Jesus-type stuff to the world. We get to obey him. And we get to say, you know, my money, it's an opportunity. God, you have blessed. I don't know why you gave me so much and why you entrusted to me. I get the opportunity to bless others. And, and I may have this business and I get the opportunity to employ others. And I get to be an employer who sets up this kind of structure, which a lot of employees come in. Why? Huh? This is different. Or I get to do my work in this way. I get to do family and community and politics in a way that doesn't say this is the ultimate power, but there's a power above this power. It is my King, Jesus. And more than representing the kingdoms of this world, I want to represent his, his kingdom, which is a kingdom of sacrifice. And it's often of suffering. But through the Son of God, we become the children of God. You see that vision? This is what James and John would have heard. And the question is, what do you hear? What do you hear? And I hope as we go through this gospel, you'll start reading through it and just asking that question, who is this? Who is this? And then what does it look like for me today, wherever you are, just simply to follow? Hey, this morning we're going to celebrate communion. It's a way for us uh, as the people of God, as the children of God, just to, to center our hearts back on what Christ has done. The, the communion elements reflect Jesus' sacrifice for us. The bread, right, is the broken body of Christ. He is the bread of life. And that bread was given to us because his body was broken for us. And then that cup, the wine, the juice, it represents the blood of Christ. And that's what heals us and cleanses us. And so I don't know what stirs up in you. As you sit here this morning, thank you for your attention and your focus. And, but as you're here, the Spirit of God is working. He's calling you. And what's he doing? This is that opportunity to speak to the Father and just say, God, this is where I am. Hey, if you didn't grab the elements, they're available up front. Please grab them. Let's spend some time talking to the Father. And then after, we'll share this meal together. confess this morning the kingdoms of this world they they captivate me they do I think they have more power than they have and so I'm often afraid or I feel like I need to take control the kingdoms of this world what they present is good um, sometimes my flesh and my heart it, it runs after it. I look at it I, I gaze on it I think about it and Jesus, your kingdom, it, it's unexpected. The way you showed up in the world, it, it wasn't like the kings of this earth who 
who use people for their platforms, but instead, Jesus, you came and you served. And you didn't serve the greatest. You served all of us. You served us equally. You did not show favoritism. But instead, you met us where we were, whether that was as a teenager, as a child, as an adult, or maybe today through the Holy Spirit, you're meeting us here today. The King is here. The kingdom of God is here. Would we repent? Would we turn? And would we just start to trust? And show us, Lord, what we immediately need to leave behind. And, and that may not mean that we'll never touch it again or look at it again, but what do we need to let go of so that we can look to you? And would you give us the faith, the trust, the community around us so that we could do that and do it well? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he, he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. So this cup, it represents the new covenant, the covenant that is now established in my blood, my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. If there's something on your heart this morning and you know, you need to respond. Our prayer team's here. They're not here yet. They're going to be here when you guys stand up. And if you want to wait till everybody's out of the room, that's okay. And they're going to be up front. And, and sometimes that's the first step of faith we need to take. We just need to tell somebody, hey, this is where I am. Would you, would you pray for me? And it's amazing what God does when, like a little child, you just take that step and you trust him. God begins to do his work in our lives. So please stand together in prayer team. If you want to, you can come up front and